What is up, everybody? This is Lance Pickers Jr. here on the Walkout Podcast. And this week, it is just me. You're getting just your boy, LMJ, my co-host and uh, famous part of the duo here on the Walkout Podcast is... He's uh he's caught up in a baseball game tonight, so it's just gonna be me. I'm gonna be giving you guys all my thoughts on the on the pretty crazy weekend and week we've had here in MMA. We're gonna cover things like UFC 259. We're gonna cover the Aljo Sterling and Peter Yan debacle. What's next for all these big times fighters and uh, some other big headlines here in the UFC? We have a couple of things uh, in the works that I would love to talk to you guys about. So as I said, it's just gonna be me tonight. So. Hope you guys. Uh, hope you guys are uh, are ready for a uh, are ready for a solo show. It is my first solo show I'll be ever I'll ever be doing. So, if you guys want to hang in there with me, here we go. Wing number one, UFC two fifty nine overview coming at you now. All right, Walkout Podcast, welcome into any number one, and we are talking UFC two fifty nine. And is the overview. If you guys watched the prelims and didn't catch the main card, don't worry because the prelims where was the action where the action was at. This is the one of the only cards I can really remember the performance bonuses not going to a single person on a main pay-per-view uh, card, especially ones that, that was stacked like we saw this card being stacked. So the, the early prelims and the prelims were free. Hope you guys caught them. If not, make sure you go watch them because they were some absolute uh, bangers. Um, in the prelims and early prelims, but going to the main card, that's what we're here to talk about. We're going to start uh, right at the top, guys. I'm going to go right to the uh, the Jan Blakovich and the Israel Adesanya fight. This for me was, I can't lie, it was satisfying. It was satisfying for me because you guys have known if you listen to the walkout, I'm a big Jan Blakovich fan. I'm also an Israel Adesanya fan, but Jan Blakovich, man, he has had the late career research is that every athlete could possibly hope for my man is uh, on an absolute tear i think in the last nine out of his 10 fights he's been the underdog and he's won almost every single one of those and this 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 performance over Isla Adesanya, if you watch the fight the the commentary was so incredibly biased but jan blokowicz fought beautifully he had a beautiful plan against Isla Adesanya. he never let izzy get comfortable he was switching his stances he was checking those leg kicks he did exactly what he had to do, and then when the fight got close and the fight got into that third, fourth, and fifth round, and everyone knew that these late championship rounds were going to be the deciding factor, everyone said, can Jan Blokovic dig deep? What does he have in these late rounds? And what you saw was a perfect plan by Jan Blokovic and his team. He implemented the wrestling, implemented the ground and pound, secured him wins in the fourth and fifth round, a couple of 10-8s on the judges' scorecards. You saw someone that has been doubted going back to the uh, the Krolov fight years ago, been doubted every single time he stepped into the octagon, and he is a beautiful 205 champion and just did it and had a flawless performance, in my opinion, against one of the baddest men on the planet, Israel Adesanya. We're going to talk about Israel Adesanya and what he has to what – what's next for him in a couple innings, so I'm not going to touch too much on him, but props to Izzy here, man. Izzy really went for it. I mean, Izzy could have sat down there at 185, could have done his thing, uh, continue to clean that division out. But this was this was big for him. This was a big jump. He thought it was the right point in his career. He put his undefeated MMA record on the line and came out on the on the losing end. But the the, the respect I think Israel Adesanya gained around the world, um, and a lot of fight fans will speak volumes. And he will continue to do great things. We'll talk about him next. 
Of course, we had Amanda Nunez on this card, guys. And at this point, we can stop saying Amanda Nunez is the GOAT of the females of all time. I and mean, she has to be put in the conversation of top five fighter ever. What she has been able to do at 135 and 145 in the competition, I think of Shevchenko, I think of Holly Holm, I think of Cyborg. These are elite, elite um, of course, Ronda Rousey, elite competition. She has faced the best women fighters on the planet, and she is cleaning them out like it's her job. It, it doesn't seem to seem hard for her at this point. She was fighting Megan Anderson. She's much bigger, much taller, much longer, real knockout power at 145, a true 145. You heard Joe Rogan and uh, DC talking about that. And she made it look like she was she was in a sparring session with someone who had never fought MMA before. She is a legend and I'm excited to see what's next for her. We'll talk about that as well. in A number three, we had a big debut on this card. Isla Makachev. Isla Makachev is someone that has been highly touted. He is um, of course teammates and um, I believe cousins with Khabib Nurmagomedov Nergome- um, and DC Habib. Everyone in the UFC was hyping this guy up, and he had a tough task in front of him with Drew Dober, a big 155 guy, someone who does well with the takedowns, has power in those hands. And Isla Makachev showed everyone he is the real deal. He's a scary dude to fight. When I saw Isla Makachev stand next to Drew Dober in that faceoff, I could not believe the size on Isla Makachev. You're looking at someone who could easily fight at 170. And the, the grounded pound, the jiu-jitsu, the trips, the judo trips that we were seeing, he displayed a level of mixed martial arts that is going to be special to watch in this 155 division. Everyone inside that top five, not top 10, top five is on notice. The UFC is in a peculiar situation, guys. Conor McGregor has lost already in 2021. Habib has retired. John Jones' future is up in the air. He says he's going to go to heavyweight. He has a contract issue with the UFC. Israel Adesanya now is taking a loss at 205. So that that kind of aura of Izzy and, and going up and fighting bigger guys and fighting John Jones, that's kind of been going to be put on the back burner. They are searching for a new star. The Wolf is on ice right now. They are searching for a new star, and Islam Makachev may be that star. We had Rock. We had Rachik versus uh, Tiago Santos. You guys know if you listen to the walkout. I'm a huge Tiago Santos fan. Unfortunately, guys, Tiago. I think we've seen his best days. I think his best days are behind him. The, the, those knee surgeries, that 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 big time right reconstructive surgery that he had to get after that John Jones fight. Um, John Jones fight. Excuse me. Really has seemed to take its toll. He he seems a little bit tentative, a little bit hesitant. Um, he didn't seem as explosive. He's not being able to cut down that distance. And I didn't see a whole lot out of, uh, out of Rachik that, that, that made me Ratchik, excuse me, that made me say, wow, this guy is going to be the future at two five, but he took another step forward and Tiago, unfortunately took a step backwards. And it's hard for me because I've been, I've been a huge Tiago, uh, Santos fan since he was at 185, even before he came up to 205. And of course I've been on that bandwagon pretty much driving it ever since. So a little bit disappointed there in that fight, Tiago is going to have to rebound. He's going to have to take a similar mindset, in my opinion, to Anthony Smith, where he's not only searching for guys ahead of him, he's searching just for good fights to get ring time and try to reestablish himself in the 205 division. But as it seems right now, when you have guys like Jan Blachowicz, 
um, controlling that division. You have Rachik now in front of you, and you have these other young 205, Provashka, Dominic Reyes. It seems like the title shots for Thiago Santos are fading and fading quick, which is sad because he seemed like a dude that would have would have been a great champion, at least in my opinion. And of course, you had Dominic Cruz on this card. He looked great uh, versus Casey Kennedy. He had an awkward little call out there um, after his fight, basically called out an employee who works for Monster, who essentially what Dominic Cruz made it feel like is he's pimping him out. Makes him, makes him comment on his Instagram post, makes him show up to events and take pictures with them and all these type of things. And he said his next fight, he wants to fight that guy in a charity bout. You guys heard from Dana White. He seemed confused by it. Joe Rogan um, said he didn't. He hated to see it get political. Uh, after the fight, Dominic Reyes, I'm sorry, uh, Dominic Cruz kind of clarified his stance a little bit, basically saying it's not Monster he has a problem with. It's just his employee who claims to be a fighter but at the same time is wearing on fighters and basically pimping them out to make it seem like he is a big deal and he wants to fight for charity. So we'll see how that works out. But overall, guys, UFC 259 was a really, really solid card. Was it the card of the century? Like I think myself and many other people were hoping this to be. I don't think so. But I think we got a lot of clarity from this card, which I'm going to talk about in number three. And in number two, which is coming at you right now, we're going to talk about the Aljo Sterling and Peter Yan. Uh, controversy. I purposely did not go over it in this first inning. I wanted to have its own section. I want to give you guys my thoughts on that whole situation, disqualification. But like I said, solid card, amazing early prelims, amazing prelims. This the, the, the this card was one of the first I think I can ever remember. Not a single main event in a in, in a pay per view. This stack of a pay per view did not win a single performance bonus. And with some of the fights we saw for Amanda and Jan and Islam, it speaks volumes that early prelim and that prelims. Make sure you guys check that out. All right, guys, scene number two, of course, as I mentioned, it's going to be Aljo and the whole DQ situation coming at you right now. All right, guys, scene number two, we're talking Aljo Sterling versus Peter Jan. This was the third fight on the main card, and it was an absolute, Absolute barn burner from the get-go. Aljo came into the fight. Apparently, his team had seen something in the film with Peter Yan. And Aljo was pressing him like there was no tomorrow. The amount of strikes that were landing from Aljo in those first couple rounds, the amount of takedowns he tried to attempt. I think it was like 19 takedowns uh, throughout that, that, that fight before the disqualification. And Aljo came out of the gate swinging. He came out, he came out hot. That strategy seemed to backfire a little bit, in my opinion, because as the fight went on and Peter kind of started settling in to the fight, Aljo started to fade. And what happened was, is Jan was clearly the more dominant man, the stronger man, was basically tossing, tossing Aljo around. And then that fourth round, in the fourth round, Peter Jan had Aljo, and Aljo was down. The referee made sure that Jan knew he was down. Everyone knew, especially a champion inside the UFC, that Aljo was not eligible to be need. And Peter Yan threw a perfectly timed, perfectly located knee to the side of Aljo's head, kind of in the temple area. And that was the beginning of the end. After that, of course, Aljo laid on the canvas for about five to seven minutes. The doctor ended up by stopping it. Aljo was rewarded the belt. 
There was a couple, there was a little bit of confusion because Peter Yan said that his cornermen may have told him that he was able to strike um, and all these type of things. But rules are rules. And Aljo is your new 135 champion inside the UFC. And I think it played out how it should have played out. A lot of people were online. They were saying, oh, Aljo's going to win the, a Grammy nomination for or Golden Globe nomination for that acting performance. Or, oh, Aljo was faking it. You know, Peter Yan's the real champion. He was winning on the scorecard. So let me tell you what. One scorecard had Aljo winning. Two of the scorecards had Peter Yan winning. If you deduct probably two points for that illegal knee, Aljo would be winning on all three scorecards. And basically, as long as he didn't get knocked out in that last round, it would have been a draw or it would have been an Aljo win. So in my opinion, Aljo did the right thing and the rules are there for a reason. I wish the, the doctor would have come in a little more um, strong and would have seen that replay and spoken to the ref. There was a little bit of deliberation going on. And Aljo, I could kind of see in his eyes, started to realize that maybe this fight was going to continue. Don't, don't mistake. Aljo was hurt. Aljo was already fading in this fight, so this knee to the temple made it no better. If Aljo would have continued with that fight, Peter Yong would have finished him, in my opinion, and he would have remained champion. Aljo did the correct thing. He was illegally in need. It was a brutal, brutal shot, and he was rewarded the belt. I have no problem with any of that. I don't even have a problem with Aljo actually doing an interview after the fact. He probably was concussed, um, and they don't like concussed fighters doing interviews, but I didn't mind that. Where I have to draw the line in the sand, it almost seems like Aljo has been celebrating this belt. There was some pictures and some videos surfacing online of basically uh, the night after the fight. He had his family and friends there. They were all celebrating the belt. He had the he was had the belt on, taking pictures, this and that. Aljo has gone on his um, has gone on his podcast and try to set their record straight. And my advice to Aljo, if he was asking me, you need someone. You needed someone in that moment, whether it was your head coach, whether it was someone on your team to pull you aside and say, we're going to let this thing blow over. We're going to we're going to maybe celebrate in private. We're going to let this thing blow over because Aljo knows as good as anyone else. That belt is not a legitimate belt. That belt is not unified. That 135 belt is very much up in the air. Aljo is trying to create a little. um a little fight interest with Henry Cejudo. He's posting the pictures with Cejudo. He's going on basically saying, you know, he's not the champion, but he is a champion. I think Aljo fought a great fight. I think he was fading. I think it was Peter Yan's fight to lose. The illegal need did it in, and Aljo should retain that belt. They need to fight immediately. And I think Aljo could do himself a favor because the fans are already going to gang up and they're going to turn against you because that is the that's the culture of social media. They're going to they're going to want to feed off one another and they're going to want to continue to call you out, call you out, call you out. You fake this, you fake that. You're an actor blah 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 blah. Aljo just needs to get off the Instagram, get off Twitter. His coaches need to pull him aside and say, "We're going to get back in the gym as soon as we can. We're going to make the adjustments because Aljo looked very good in the stand up. But he needs to make some adjustments on how to get Peter to the mat. And he also needs to readjust some of the cardio issues and how they're going to go about that fight. Because if they're not going to press Peter right off the get-go, that means Peter's going to have space. He's going to have space to get off those shots that were dropping Aljo. So he has a lot of work to do, a tall hill to climb. 
So my thoughts on this, Aljo did the right thing. The ref did the right thing. The doctor did the right thing. It should have been stopped. My only problem with this whole situation is now after the fact where we feel like he's celebrating a little bit. He's celebrating this disqualification. The fans are upset because they feel like he didn't legitimately win this belt. This belt will be unified. This belt will be um, won or lost by either Aljo or Jan and their rematch as soon as that happens. So if you're a fan, hold tight. This belt will be fought for again and be fought for again very soon, as soon as both of them are allowed to fight. Aljo did the right thing. It's in the rules. The rules are there for a reason. They're, to, they're there to protect people. But if you ever catch yourself in one of these situations, if you guys are listening out there, maybe don't rub it in everybody's face. Start posting on social. That's my thoughts. I feel like it was the right way to go about it to start. And he's kind of fading. He's got the FU balloons in the back. He's trying to go at uh, Jan on, on Twitter, go, go at Triple uh, C on Twitter, maybe go for the money fight. I think he needs to chill. He needs to pull back. Enjoy the belt with your camp. You worked hard to get there. You fought a good fight. Make the adjustments and win it legit. All right, guys. E number three coming up next, and we are playing What's Next for all the big boys on the UFC 259 overview. All right, guys, it's what's next, and it's where I guess just myself today gets to predict or gets to say how I feel or what I would want to see for a lot of these fighters. Here we go. Of course, we're going to start at the top, and we're going to start at Izzy versus Jan Blachowicz. I'm going to go with Izzy first. Izzy definitely took a little bit of hit in this fight. I'm not saying that he took a hit as far as his um, popularity goes or as far as the money situation goes, it's reported that Izzy made over $2 million to be in there in that ring. But as I mentioned earlier, that that the elusive aura around Izzy, the undefeated record, the, the style, the flash, it kind, of, it kind of maybe hit a little bit of a brick wall. Izzy needs to get back down to 185. He needs to, he needs to go where he knows best. He's cleaning that division out. There's only a couple guys left. He has some great rematches. He has Robbie Whitaker sitting there who's going to fight against Paulo Costa. If Izzy and Paulo Costa fight again, I see the same thing happening. If Robbie Whitaker versus Izzy fights again, we get a freaking classic. Because I think Robbie Whitaker is one of the greatest 185s to ever walk this earth. So he has a lot of options down there in his natural, more comfortable weight class. It was obvious Jan was the bigger man. He was too strong for Izzy. Izzy landed some nice shots, and Jan ate them. I was impressed with Izzy's chin, actually, up there at 205. Jan Blockwich has some, some serious, serious power. But Izzy needs to go back to what he knows, and that's 185. If he wants to go back down there, put another three or four fight streak together, and maybe wants to climb back up to 205 and wants to go for it with Jan again, or maybe if Glover Teixeira or um, Alexander Rakic is the is the champion to go for it. But right now, Izzy, go back down to 185, beat Darren Till. He's a he's a great fighter, ranked number four, very popular. A lot of eyes will be in that fight. Maybe beat Paulo Costa again. Maybe beat Robbie Whitaker again. A lot of great fights to make at 185 and to kind of get that that feeling back around Izzy. But as I said, a lot of respect goes to him. He risked it all. Didn't work out. He still fought a good fight, but ultimately this time around, the 205 belt was too much. The the guy he was fighting was just too big. And we'll go to his dance partner, Jan Blachowicz. Jan Blachowicz and Glover Teixeira, they're they're set for a date. 
We just got to find out what that date is. Uh, Dana White alluded to it after the fight. Jan Blokowicz looked towards Glover Teixeira after he won. Glover was there um, ringside, octagon side, excuse me. And it was a nice moment because Glover Teixeira is one of those UFC legends. And if Israel Adesanya would have won this belt, there could have been a Jan Blokowicz rematch. There could have been a John Jones come back down and fight type of situation going on. And Glover Teixeira may never have gotten that last crack at the belt. My man, I think, is like 43 years old, if I'm not mistaken. Listen, he's the ageless wonder. We've seen the way he has fought against uh, Tiago Santos, Anthony Smith, this run that he's on. But only so long can you hold off Mother Nature. So I'm glad that Glover Teixeira is going to be getting his shot, hopefully getting his shot very soon. Amanda Nunez. Amanda Nunez, guys, I'm not really sure what to say about it. She is the women's featherweight champion. That, that division is in disarray. I don't even know who's there left for her to fight. The bantamweight division, she's beat everyone. The only real fight that I would really, really love to see is a 135 bout against the flyweight champion, Valentina Shevchenko. Amanda Nunez and Shevchenko has fought two times before. It's gone the distance both times, and the second fight was razor close. Some people could argue Shevchenko won that fight. Amanda Nunez needs to be challenged. You know, there's people online. I think it was um, Pena. I think Pena was online. Uh, Juliana Pena, and she said that if Amanda Nunez wants to stay quote unquote fat, that she needs to uh, vacate the bantamweight belt. Um, that's a little bit harsh. Julia Pena's down there about number six um, hasn't really done done too much in that bantamweight division to be able to talk that talk like that but Amanda Amanda Nunez at this point in her career can do whatever the hell she pleases she is one of the top five fighters ever and I would love to see a Shevchenko bout lined up um, if possible the next one's pretty easy guys Aljo versus Jan these are the next two guys in this list and they have to fight again I do not want to see Aljo fight triple C I do not want to see Jan have to fight a Corey Sanhagen or a Corey Dillashaw, excuse me, TJ Dillashaw to get back into that title picture. Peter Jan made a mistake. He made a mistake. He lined up an illegal knee, whether he knew it was, whether he knew the rules or not, it's illegal. He lined him up and he landed flush and he was stripped his belt. It was a mistake that cost him his belt. It's going to cost him money. It's going to cost him status. And he deserves with the run he's been on and what he showed us in the octagon the other night, he deserves an immediate rematch. So I hope that Dana White and the uh, UFC make it happen. Alexander Rakic, my man's up in my man's up there now. He's number two in the light heavyweight. So Alexander could be looking at a possible Dominic Reyes bout. Dominic Reyes was supposed to fight Jury Provashka. Um, that fight has um, been pushed or maybe hasn't been reannounced yet. But Alexander's up there at number two, man. If I'm Alexander, I'm chilling because Jan Blockwich is going to go fight Glover Teixeira, and the winner of that fight is going to fight you because I don't think that if Jan loses right away, he will get that immediate rematch. For some reason, I just don't see it in the business of the UFC. I think they want to get a fresh new face in there. Jan Blockwich, 38 years old. Glover Teixeira is plus 40 years old. They want to get a young guy in there. That's why they're pushing Dominic Reyes so much. Um, that's why Alexander Rachis makes so much sense. So he needs to sit on the sidelines. He needs to wait and he needs to just be patient and get that fight. Tiago Santos is number four now in the rankings. He dropped two spots. Him and uh, Alexander basically flipped. 
He could be pushing for an out. Um, he could be pushing for Dominic Reyes fight. He could push for a Jiri Povashka fight. He could even push for an Anthony Smith uh, fight as well. He beat Anthony Smith once already, I believe. But it would be a uh, it would be a nice fight. There would be two uh, two or five legends pretty much going at it. And as I mentioned, Anthony Smith, when I spoke with him, I did an interview with Anthony Smith. He really, really had a good outlook on what it was going to take for him to get back into the 205 picture. He said, listen, after a couple losses like that, I'm going to have to just pay my dues, bite down on my mouthpiece, and fight these dudes that are now coming up in the rankings. I think Thiago Santos is in a similar position. The UFC is going to want to push Provashka versus Dominic Reyes, or maybe even Provashka versus Alexander Rakic. So Tiago Santos needs to welcome these dudes inside that top 10. Johnny Walker, Nikita Krolov, Volkan Ozemir. They need to welcome these guys and hold them off. At the same time, while you're fighting these guys and holding them off, you're cementing yourself as a top five to a fiver, and maybe you'll get a chance uh, in the future to get back into, uh, into the belt. We had Dominic Cruz on this fight. I'm not sure what's next for him. He's a legend in this sport. Everybody knows that. Um, I liked the Kennedy fight. He looked really good. He looked sharp. His movements were nice. The only thing with Cruz is that he just doesn't have that power. So I don't really know where Cruz goes from here. He has options, though. I mean, he's sitting there at number nine. You have Pedro Munoz there, Frankie Yeager. That would be a, a legends fight, an awesome legends fight to see. Uh, Jimmy Rivera sitting right there in that area, another uh, legendary 135er. So a lot of things in the works um, that uh, could be there for um, for our boy Dominic Cruz. All right, guys, in number four coming up, we're going to talk a little bit more about Israel Asanya and John Jones. As you guys may have known, they have a super long history. And is that fight dead? I'll answer that coming up. All right, guys, welcome into eight number four. We're talking Israel Adesanya versus John Jones. They have had a beef for years. Israel Adesanya has been down at 185, clearing out that division, and always teasing us, talking about John Jones this, John Jones that. They've had the back and forth on Twitter. The coach even gets into it, Israel Adesanya's coach. And basically, this 205 fight versus Jan Block, which, at least in my opinion, was a test run. It was a test run for the UFC. It was a test run for Israel Adesanya to see could he handle these bigger guys. And when I mean bigger, Jan Blachowicz obviously not as tall as Izzy, but he is thick and he is strong. Those those light heavyweights guys they weigh in at two hundred five on fight night, okay, or, or, or weigh in day, okay. By fight night, these guys are weighing two twenty five, two thirty with ease. John Jones has walks around at two thirty. I know this for a fact. John Jones hits camp at 230 to 235, and he makes weight at 205. And when that fight starts, he blows back up. Israel Adesanya just doesn't have the frame. And that's what I basically saw in this fight. And John Jones kind of saw it too. So, of course, during the fight, John Jones had his Twitter fingers rolling. Okay. And here's the here's the brunt of it. John Jones tweets out, if you ever wrote me talking shit about Izzy beating me, slap yourself. And he said, dare to be great, kid. Good job. And he said, the greatest striker in MMA history, the best we've ever seen. This shit needs to stop already. People are so quick to jump on the hype train. Then Israel Asanya's coach went on to say, John Jones knows who the biggest star in the sport is at the moment and who can get him paid the most. That's why the fight won't fizzle out. Basically talking about what I'm talking about. 
is this Israel Adesanya versus John Jones fight dead? Has it fizzled? Do people ne- not want to see this anymore? And John Jones said, give it up, coach. We've all seen your cards. Your boy has no takedown defense or offense on his back. Now you're just being a clout trout. If you would honestly send me in there against a 260-pound wrestler after the last performance, you don't care. If you honestly, I'm sorry. If you would honestly send him in there against a 260-pound wrestler after that last performance, you don't care about his well-being. I guess John is referring to his current weight. There would have to be some sign of um, some kind of catch weight agreed to, maybe in the 210, 215 range. I'm assuming. So you would you would think John would be around 245, 250 come the fight. And I gotta I gotta say, man, I kind of agree with what John Jones saying here. Um, this was a a good eye opener for a lot of the fans out there who like to say this guy can beat that guy. This guy can beat that guy so easily. And even DC, as much as Daniel Cormier despises John Jones said, watching Israel Adesanya do what he did at middleweight makes you believe he can go out there with anyone. And because of his skill set, his skill set, you would like to think he could beat John Jones. But today, after watching what happened on Saturday, I believe John Jones is too big for him. That fight for me is no more. The intrigue is gone. It doesn't need to happen. And this is kind of where I sit on this. I was always on the fence about John Jones versus Israel Adesanya. Will John Jones wrestling, will his size be enough to stop someone who's clearly a better striker than John Jones is? And my answer is we saw it play out. We saw Jan Blakowicz be able to eat Izzy's biggest shots. John Jones has a chin. He's able to take shots from the biggest, baddest 205ers in the last 10 to 10 to 12 years. So he has a chin check. He is way bigger than Izzy. He stands about as tall as he does. He would outweigh him by easy 30 pounds, probably even more than Jan Blockwich outweighed, um, probably more than the difference between Jan Blockwich and Izzy on fight net. So check another box. John Jones is going to be bigger than, than Jan taller and going to weigh more. Jan is a better overall, more skilled fighter than Jan Blachowicz. As much as I love Jan Blachowicz, he does not possess the overall skill that John Jones possesses. And Izzy got taken down at will and got held at the bottom. So this is not a knock against Israel Adesanya. Israel Adesanya is a special 185-er. He's going to be one of the best fighters, in my opinion, to ever grace the octagon in my lifetime that I'm going to watch. He's going to be the best 185-er but when it's all said and done. But sometimes size and the way your, your your frame is built out, it's just you can't overcome that. And that's kind of what we saw with Izzy uh, the other night versus Jan. So in my opinion, I agree with DC. I agree with John Jones. Israel Adesanya is a fantastic, magnificent UFC striker. We saw his hole, and his hole is being taken down, and it's the ground and pound from on top. John Jones is a better wrestler and probably going to be able to inflict more damage from the top being a longer, more inventive striker from the top with the elbows, with the strikes to the body, to the head. So I believe if John, if John Jones and Uzzalada Sanya fought, I believe it would be a finish. I believe it would be a third-round finish. It would be wrestling heavy from the get-go for John Jones. He would wear Izzy out, and he would end up by finishing him. So I agree. This fight does not need to happen. And that's not because Izzy's not good. And it's not because John Jones is just so much better. It's the frames 
The frames on these guys is good, is what's going to separate them from fighting. Like I said, Izzy needs to slide back down to 185, continue to do his thing, continue to build his legacy. John Jones is off at heavyweight. If this fight wasn't dead before last Saturday, it certainly is now. All right, guys, welcome into A number five, and we're talking big headlines. So basically anything big that I've seen on the internet referring to MMA. And the biggest thing that I've seen and it's continuing to circulate as Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier 3. We are continuously hearing from the UFC that's the fight to make. We're continuously hearing from Kavanaugh that that fight's going to happen and Conor's going to make the adjustments. You hear Dana saying that Conor is dying for that fight at once at ASAP, and Dustin is welcoming that fight. Dustin Poirier is sitting in Louisiana right now, believing he's in for another about a $5 million payday, give or take to beat Conor McGregor. Dustin Poirier, I truly believe, at, he believes at this point in his career, he is just better, too big, too strong, more, more seasoned than Conor McGregor. So he is dying for this fight. It's, in his opinion, easy money. Coach Kavanaugh went on to say Conor McGregor was boxing obsessed in his last camp. He basically planned to fight Dustin Poirier beat Dustin Poirier, go right to fighting Manny Pacquiao in a huge boxing match that was going to pay him probably upwards of about $100 million. Listen, we have talked at length about the issues that we saw in Conor's stand-up game. Conor completely abandoned his karate style. He completely abandoned his movement, his 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 fluid strikes, the kicks, the, the combos. He was a front-foot-heavy off to the side boxer who was doing one shot at a time. If Connor can make the adjustments, as Coach Kavanaugh said, it's not reinventing something. It's not learning something new. It's basically lifting up the hood and tuning the engine up. If Connor can make those adjustments, I believe we'll be in for a better Connor versus Dustin three. Because don't forget, Dustin Poirier is going to adjust. Dustin Poirier is not going to come into this fight and just go straight for calf kicks and let Connor just check, check, check. There's going to be a new game plan on the Dustin Poirier side, and I believe it's going to be the grappling. It's going to be the grappling that we saw in Dustin Poirier's first round versus Conor McGregor. He's going to try to test that cardio, and he's going to try to get him to the mat. So I would love to see this fight. It is a great trilogy fight. You have a finish in the first fight for Conor, a finish in the second fight for, for Dustin. A lot of big-time revenue has been produced for the UFC and life-changing money for the Diamond. I love to see it. I don't know... If Coach Kavanaugh can get Connor where he needs to be for a fight versus a bigger, more seasoned guy at this point, someone that's just sucking up ring time, someone with a great chin at 155, someone with a much well rounded skill set than most of the guys Connor has fought in the past. Dustin Poirier is a problem. He's going to get that third fight, and it's going to be a heck of a one. The pound-for-pound list has come out. Of course, it's always fun to talk about. This is the ESPN men's pound-for-pound ranking voted on by Ariel Hebwani, Brett Okamoto, Jeff, and Mark Mark Raymondy. And here's how it looks. Number one, Habib Nurmagomedov. Number two, John Jones. Three, Stipe Miocic. Number four, Kamar Usman. Number five, Israel Adesanya. Number six, Alexander Volkanovsky, better known on our podcast as the Volkswagen. Number seven, Jan Blakowicz tied at number seven. Figueredo, number nine, Dustin Poirier, and number 10, Max Holloway. 
immediate knee-jerk reaction. This is the first time I've read it. You guys are getting my honest opinion here. The first thing I say is, why the hell is Habib still on this list? Habib has said time and time and time again, I am retired. I am no longer going to fight. I'm coaching now. He has Islam Makachev. He has other guys. I don't know why ESPN, UFC, they can't, they can't give it up. The fans, I feel like, have come to a quicker rationale that Habib is no longer around than, than the sports writers, than, than, than the UFC themselves. And of course, Dana White wants Habib to fight. He's a cash cow. Why wouldn't you want Habib to fight? But even he said in his last presser, well, he's, he's not telling me to, to leave him alone. I mean, kind of he is, Dana. He's basically telling you to leave him alone. He doesn't want to fight anymore. It's not in him. So he needs to be off the list, in my opinion. Second knee-jerk reaction, Jan Blakowicz was previously unranked. That's what I'm talking about. Jan Blakowicz is disrespected as shit. My guy runs through Corey Anderson. Then he goes and fights Dominic Reyes. Dominic Reyes has been argued by every single person who likes UFC. That he beat John Jones. So if John Jones is your number two, and you have a guy in there who just cleaned out Dominic Reyes, you got to give my man his flowers. But it seems like people just don't want to give Jan Blakowicz his credit. And finally, it seems like finally, he's going to get it. Also on this list, I like Max Holloway at 10. I like Dustin Poirier at 7. Figueredo, I love him there. Um, I actually may put Figueredo a little bit higher because I feel like Figueredo has room to go up. Um, I would slide Volkanovski down. Um, I do believe Max Holloway won that last fight. That's my opinion. Israel Adesanya, I like there at five. Still the baddest 185 around the planet and showed he can go toe-to-toe with a much bigger, much heavier uh, champion in another weight class. Kamar Usman, love him at four. Stipe at three, love it. And John Jones at two. Basically, John Jones should be one. This whole list should slide up, um, and maybe you could insert, um, I don't know, off the cusp here. You could talk about a Robbie Whitaker um, could, could slide in there um, at number 10. I just really like what Robbie has done in the past and will continue to do there down there at 185. Um, but yeah, man, Khabib at number one. I love Habib. He's an amazing fighter. He's obviously an amazing coach. But he's done, in my opinion. He doesn't want to fight anymore. Get him out of there. Jan Blakowicz finally getting his flowers, number seven in the rankings. And um, other than that, I like it. Another big headline of this weekend was Triple C. Triple C went on ESPN and basically teased his comeback. Basically said, now is the time for Triple C to grace his presence to the UFC world to come and save everyone. Because basically, he sees this time, as I see it, the UFC is lacking in star power right now. Their biggest stars are either retired or they're losing. And Triple C can maybe come back in. That 125, that 135 divisions are invigorated. They are pumping out some of the best fights, some of the best competition, some of the best um, athletes inside the UFC. People are paying attention to the 25ers and the 35ers like they pay attention to the 155 and, 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 and the 185 and 205 um, divisions. They are starting to look at these divisions and say, man, these guys are talented. 
Man, these fights are great. Figueredo versus Moreno. You got Jan versus Sterling. You have Corey Sanhagen. You have TJ Dillashaw coming back. You have Marias in there. You have some legends, Cruz and Frankie Edgar. I mean, these divisions are stacked. So people are starting to pay attention to those. And Triple C left. Don't forget, the UFC wanted to get rid of 125. They wanted to delete the division in its entirety. And Triple C is famous for saying he saved the 125 division. You can bend the knee. You can kiss the rings. Triple C coming back at this time would be the perfect time to do it because he would get an immediate shot at Figueredo at 125. And he'd probably get an immediate shot at 135 for a title shot, um, especially if TJ Dillashaw ever holds that title here in the near future. So I love Triple C's timing on this. If I had to guess the funds are running low, Triple C wasn't around in the UFC that long to make enough coin to retire with a lifestyle that these guys like to live. I should know. So trust me, Triple C, it's his time. He's going to come back 2021. I could see him coming back in the fall, making a really big entrance, maybe against Figueredo if he can beat Moreno uh, this summer. Wei Lee versus Rose Namahunas has been announced, UFC 261. This is the fight that we've been dying to see. Wei Lee, absolute savage. Absolute savage in there. I've seen her hitting pads on Instagram, brother. It looks scary. It looks scary, guys. This, this chick looks like she could knock anybody out. So the fact that Joanna could survive a five-round war, the fight of the year in 2020 with Wei Lee, massive props to her. And Rose Namahunas, a different type of striker. Very technical, very fluid, likes to pick her shots, likes to cut her angles. This is going to be another potential fight of the year because Whaley's going to come straight forward. You saw in the Andrade fight. She don't give a shit. She's coming at you. And Rose can cut those angles. She's over there, I believe, with Trevor Whitman. She looked beautiful in that Andrade fight. Her striking looked crisp. She's very technical, and she has pop. Don't forget, she, she knocked out Joanna. And she has some other nice knockouts on her record. So Whaley versus Rose set for 261. I cannot wait for that fight. That's going to be a potential fight of the year. Another big news out of the UFC, Alistair Overheem and Dos Anjos have been cut by the UFC. The UFC has parted ways with the absolute legends of the sport. And honestly, it was probably time. Alistair Overheem himself said he had one last little final title run in him. That came to a uh, to a screeching halt on that KO loss to Volkov. The heavyweight division, man, that heavyweight division is for real. It is a it's a very deep division. It's a division with a lot of talent inside that top fifteen and that back half. And there's so much new talent, including John Jones coming up. We're gonna see how some of these things shake out. But cheers to the legends, man. I'm just drinking a water tonight. No wine, essential water too. My bad. No wine, no nothing. Cheers to those guys. Absolute legends in the game. I hope nothing but the best. All right, guys, that is it for A number five. We're moving to A number six. We're going to be covering the UFC fight night, which is this Saturday. Leon Edwards makes his return to the UFC octagon. Coming up. All right, guys, any number six, and we are here to talk about the fights coming up this weekend is UFC Fight Night Edwards versus Muhammad. Of course, this was supposed to be the Wolf's Night. This was supposed to be the night that the that the Wolf made his claim for the belt for the for for a, for a shot at the 170 belt versus Kabara Usman. 
but he is just having COVID problems. We talked about this on the last podcast. He said he retired. He's having complications. He's having a hard time training. He has no cardio. He can't breathe well. And so he's trying to get some treatment here in the U.S. He's out. And Bilal Muhammad steps in. Now, this is going to be an interesting fight, and I'll tell you why. Because Bilal Muhammad, listen, is he the greatest fighter around? Not the greatest fighter around. He's a solid fighter. He's had a really nice run here in the UFC. He's beat some, he's beat some good guys, but he's never really beat any upper echelon, super talented type of, uh, type of fighters. The, 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 the closest guy I would consider to a really, really good fighter that he's fought is uh, Vincent Luque. Way back in 2016, Vincent Luque ended up by knocking him out in the first round. But he's been on a nice streak since then. Since then, he only has one loss in his last nine fights. It came to Jeff Neal in 2019. He's coming off wins versus Diego Lima, Liam Good, and, Te- and Takashi Soto in 2019, 2020, and 2021. I'm sure you guys saw that, that Lima fight that happened February 13th. But listen, this is a nice test for Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards hasn't fought since 2019. He took that L backstage to Jorge Masvidal when he got three-piece to Minnesota. So it's going to be nice to see him get back in there. Leon Edwards is someone that's been around He's been a mainstay in this division. His last loss in the UFC came in 2015, funny enough, to Kamara Usman. He has run through Vincent Luque since then, along with Gunnar Nelson, Donald Cerrone, Peter, uh, Peter Sabata, and as recent, Rafael Dos Anjos. Now, when I say those names, you may be thinking, Lance, who the hell are those guys? I don't know anyone except Rafael Dos Santos, or maybe if you've really been paying attention, Donald Cerrone. This guy, Leon Edwards, he doesn't win a lot of fights by KOs. He doesn't win a lot of fights by subs. He's got 18 wins and only nine have been finished. He's got a 50% finish rate. We know Uncle Dana likes finishes. Leon Edwards is going to be tested against Muhammad. I don't think Muhammad is going to be able to outstrike Leon Edwards. He is a very technical striker. He will overwhelm you with his cardio. He looks in fantastic shape. But this is going to be good for, for, the, for the fans. The fans need to see Leon Edwards. If you want to be a mainstay in the UFC nowadays, you've got to fight. You cannot fight since his last fight was July 20th, 2019. We're running on almost two years here. This guy hasn't fought. So he needs to get in there. He needs to show the world what he's about because Dana White has said this fight for him has title shot implications. He was taking a massive risk lining up to fight the Wolf. That didn't fight out. He gets Muhammad. We'll see what Edwards is really about. Another couple good fights here on this card is Dan Ige. He's back, of course, off that Calvin Cater loss. And uh, Angela Hill is back. She's actually on the prelims. I'm excited to see Angela Hill, man. She's a really good striker. She fought uh, Gladia Goodell and Michelle Watterson in 2020 after her win earlier that year against, um, against Loma. And she lost both of those fights to Claudia and to Watterson. But if you're asking me, she won those fights. She's 12 and nine, but this girl can strike. And I'm really excited to see what she does um, with this opportunity. It could be a big year for her. She's getting a little older. She's 36. She, you, you're starting to see her on the post fight, on the pre fight, starting to mix it in in the, in the media world. So maybe she's starting to think a little bit after, um, a little bit after fighting. But this is a good card, guys. Leon Edwards versus Muhammad. You have Misha versus Ryan Spawn. Ryan Spawn throws bombs. You have Dan Ige versus Gavin Tucker. Gavin Tucker's 13-1. You have Martinez versus Grant. 
and you have Eric Anders, the former, I believe, Alabama football player versus Darren Stewart. And as I mentioned, you got Angela Hill versus Yoder and uh, some other good fights on this card. So make sure you guys tune in. It's free for everyone. It's a really nice card. It's going to be nice to see Leon Edwards get back into that octagon. I don't have a lot of data on him. I saw him fight um, Dos Anjos, of course, but that was the last fight Dos Anjos had at 170 before moving back down to 155. So I'm interested in see what Edwards can bring against another guy who likes to stand there and trade. It should be a good one. Big title shot implications on the line for UFC Fight Night this weekend. All right, everyone, this is inning number seven. It is the closing inning. I'm signing off. I hope you enjoyed hanging out with me today. I hope I didn't bore you guys too much. I hope it wasn't too one-sided. I tried to uh, talk to Carlos a lot over the last day or two, and I found out I was going to be rocking this uh, this show solo, so I tried to bring some of his thoughts and ideas into the show, um, some things that he had thought about uh, the previous card, what's next, and, and some of these big announcements here coming for the UFC. So I appreciate you guys rocking with me. Make sure you guys catch us on SiriusXM. You guys can catch us on any platform that you guys listen to podcasts on. We look forward to doing another episode next week, and Carlos will be back. We'll see you guys then. SiriusXM Podcasts.